analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Bit of a, a bit of a change on the weather front. It's been blue and beautiful for days now. Overcast. Uh, looks like it might rain at any moment, but uh, it's a good day to curl up around the radio, isn't it? Uh, we got a packed show for you. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, including uh, this early wildfire season start. Uh, we'll also discuss what's ahead for tourism out in Wells Gray Provincial Park and what not to do if you're one of those on that keto diet. But first up, as we do every single Wednesday, uh, we have Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian in studio. Good morning. Mr. Mayor. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, number one, the beard is coming along nicely. Uh, good. The beard's going to come <laughs> off if we ever hit 20 degrees in this town, so uh, <laughs> let's pray for pray for warm weather. All right. Okay, so let's start uh, talking about, you guys had a pretty interesting uh, council meeting yesterday. Why don't we start with the plastic bag ban, because uh, we had a discussion about that last week. Uh, you essentially decided to look at a plastic bag ban. Uh, the straws and, and utensils part of it's now, now gone. Um, so... What happens now? Because the question we had last week is about what muscle city council has in this arena. You've chosen to go down this path. What's next? Yeah. So yesterday, uh, you know, it was a, it was a good debate. Uh, the uh, notice of motion that Councillor Bass put forward and it was seconded by Councillor Hunter was uh, amended a number of times, and eventually the date was changed and the uh, content in terms of uh, focusing more on plastic bags and forgetting cutlery and and uh, the straws uh, was. Uh, uh, drop, but the uh, long and the short of it was that we have directed uh, administration to bring forward a bylaw that we could uh, talk about by uh, July the 9th uh, of this summer. So, uh, what will happen between now and then will be extensive consultation with the community and, in particular, with the retail sector as to what a plastic bag ban would mean to them and how uh, alt- how many alternatives are available and that kind of thing. And I I think when we uh, thought about some of the issues related to straws and cutlery, there wasn't really the advanced uh, alternatives available that we felt uh, wouldn't disrupt business. So uh, I think on the long and the short of it, we'll start with plastic bags, see where that goes. But also you have to remember that there's been two bylaws in British Columbia already. One is before the BC Court of Appeal, and I would just assume some other municipality expend their legal dollars on challenging this than Kamloops. So I don't really want to be first in this parade uh, because I think you could spend a lot of money. And the other part of it is that we really need to talk to the Chamber of Commerce. We need to talk to retail, uh, the grocery sector, and and, uh, make sure that we have their support for this going forward. So, just so I'm clear on this, if you guys adopt the bylaw later on this year, uh, would, you know, your Savons, whatever store out there, use it, would they immediately have to just stop using plastic bags? How does this work once the bylaw comes into effect? Yeah, and that's entirely how the bylaw is written. The bylaw could say that by 2021, we're going to eliminate, you know, and, and uh, staff are going to research that and, and decide. So it's not like that day uh, something necessarily would happen. But I think it signals uh, to the community that uh, plastics are uh, just uh, becoming uh, such a uh, drain on our environment that we have to start dealing with them and uh, you know ultimately municipalities lead the charge in many of these instances and we're prepared to do that on the plastic bag situation so you know going forward we'll see what our administration brings forward and as a recommendation for a bylaw as I said uh, last week uh, this is not the kind of thing we want to have bylaw officers 
teenagers running around, uh, you know, chasing people with plastic bags over. This is something about uh, public education, number one, and working with retail in terms of alternatives, number two. Uh, land title records, uh, we also touched on this last week, but uh, you guys had a chance to deal with the motion that Mr. O'Reilly uh, tabled. So you, the councils essentially joined the TNRD uh, area, First Nations, etc., to say, hey, listen, uh, let's press pause here. Um, full uh, full exposure, by the way, the land registrar was supposed to be on the show today and deferred till perhaps later on in the week. So maybe something's cooking over there. But uh, now that you've chosen a path, what, what do you want to see here, Ken? Well, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, uh, both for us, uh, the TNRD and the First Nations is some consultation. Uh, we really didn't hear any of this until actually my office was contacted by a, a legal firm uh, in relation to this. So uh, that really doesn't sit well with uh, any political body when people are messing around in our jurisdiction. So I think to have the consultation and hear from them directly what it is that they're intending to do and what impact that will have on both access to land titles and Camlops as well as jobs in Camlops. The registrar last I spoke with him said, I've got full authority to do this. Obviously, he didn't discuss it with First Nations, which is probably the, the biggest crux of the whole thing. You guys heard it secondhand. From your perspective, what is the responsibility here from, a, from, a, from an independent group like that to talk to um, stakeholders? Yeah, you know, having the authority to do it and doing something that's right are two different things. <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, you know, really, uh, as a community partner, uh, you really need to talk to the community through their employees, through their employees' unions, through the stakeholders, particularly the legal community, about what it is that you're doing and have that discussion. At the end of the day, you might still decide to do it, but at least then we would be informed. Right now, we're uh, essentially living off the rumor mill as to you know what may or may not be happening, what's happened with renovations, what the cost per square foot is of the space they rent at the courthouse. All of those kinds of things are... Uh, just sort of swirling around and there doesn't seem to be a willingness to have that discussion and that's what we asked for yesterday. Are you calling for a stop on the removal of records until there is some kind of dialogue here? Well, I don't know that the records are actually being moved. That's yeah. the, that's the, the the part of it. So, uh, you know, let's find out what the actual situation is. And, and uh, I, I see no problem about having a discussion with uh, the mayor of Kamloops, with the chief of the Tecumlips Teshequepmec, or with the chair of the TNRD. Um, wildfire season is uh, fast approaching and, well, kind of already here, I suppose. We've had a 14 to date around the province, a handful of those around our community, including those two big ones over the weekend uh, between here and Chase. Uh, I guess first question to you, I mean, you just came back from Mayor's Caucus and Prince George. What, what's your sense about our state of readiness uh, considering the last two seasons we've seen and this early start already to this season? Well, let's talk about that early start piece first. Uh, you know, I think we have to make sure and be clear to the public that, you know, during the spring uh, time after uh, the snow melts, there's a lot of dead material on the forest floor, and it's that time before green up that there's a risk, and that's where these recent uh, kind of grass fires essentially have occurred. Uh, that uh, hazard will go away once green up happens, and then there'll be the real uh, forest fire season that starts. Uh, in the summer after a particularly uh, drought condition. So that's uh, the one that we really um, prepare for. And insofar as preparations go, uh, we have made some improvements. There's been some more investment in uh, both uh, pro 
private crews as well as the investment in the uh, BC Forest Service uh, operations here in Kamloops. But as I was in Prince George this week and speaking with other mayors, the concern is is uh, rising, and particularly mm-hmm. mayors across northern British Columbia, across Highway 16 and in uh, Hunter Mile, Williams Lake, Quinell, and Prince George. Uh, you know, they've had a couple of bad years back to back, and people are really sensitive. I spoke speaking with the mayor of. Uh, Williams Lake had some slash burns last weekend and all of a sudden smoke into Williams Lake and his phone was lighting up uh, because people were concerned and it's that heightened sensitivity amongst the population. They haven't really recovered from two years in a row of being on alerts and and orders and that kind of thing. So people are really uh, edgy about this season going forward. And uh, let's face it, this is a, a... function of climate change yeah. and, and this and the flood issue are, are two things that we're going to have to deal with uh, you know going forward yeah fingers crossed we don't have another bad one but we just never know uh, a couple of other things is tossing really quickly here uh, number one on the overdose front I know that you're uh, passionate about this particular topic uh, we have seen no abatement in the number of deaths so far matter of fact interior health recently issuing an emergency alert over the presence of car fentanyl we know is much more deadly than fentanyl uh, for for example, yesterday in downtown Kelowna alone, seven uh, car fentanyl-related overdoses in a single day. Um, it looks like we're seeing another upsurge, unfortunately. As a community, what do we do? Yeah, and, and uh, you're, you're right. I, I'm just uh, overly concerned about this, and it's getting worse, not better. And uh, I'm uh, talking to other mayors uh, and to the government about uh, changing the paradigm here. I think that we need to look at uh, hydromorphone dispensing uh, and having uh, alternatives for those people that are addicted to opioids. Right now, uh, there is contaminated uh, drugs on the street, and uh, as they come in with uh, spikes in carfentanil or fentanyl, uh, they take uh, their toll. And this is what's happening right now. Do not use alone if you're a user. That's the biggest message uh, out there. And, uh, you know, make sure that naloxone is readily available. Uh, but in the longer term, I think that we need to continue to look at ways to help people through their addiction uh, and have uh, additional beds like uh, we have at the Phoenix Center here and expand the capacity to get people into treatment when they're ready. On housing affordability, we only got a couple of minutes left here. On housing affordability, uh, the median price for homes passed the half million mark uh, for the first time ever in the city. The average home price is about four hundred eighty-eight thousand. Uh, you're also dealing with a secondary suites issue. Uh, we talked a little bit about last week about this tricky path you have to walk there, but. Um, you know, Kamloops in a lot of ways is growing and it's good. There's a lot of positives, but there's also negatives too. And I've seen it play out in other communities where we, we celebrate the rise of our paper wealth as the assessment prices go up. And then there becomes a tipping point on the other side where, oh my God, no one can buy and where are my kids going to go and that kind of thing. Uh, your view of sort of where we are and if, if we can make some changes based on what we've seen in other communities play out and not go down the same path or... Yeah, you know, that's exactly on point. The uh, housing crisis was something that we uh, looked at from afar, really, uh, in Kamloops. But now uh, I'm afraid it's it's creeping up on us and, and is sweeping up on our shores. And so uh, we need to be conscious of the fact that uh, entry-level home ownership is almost getting out of reach for most young families starting out uh, with the mortgage uh, stress test in place, plus the fact that the housing prices are where they're at and going higher. 
there, uh, we need to start looking at uh, different ways. And certainly, uh, the issue of uh, secondary suites is one where you could have a mortgage helper, essentially, by yeah. having a home that could accommodate an additional uh, suite. And that in itself does help with things like TRU in terms of housing students. We have to balance that against uh, some of the issues related to increased parking, increased noise complaints, and those kinds of things. And the new issue is uh, the emergence of uh, um, VRBOs and Airbnbs and what does that do in terms of your tourism sector and, and that. So there's a, 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 it's a tricky situation to handle, but I think uh, yesterday in council we uh, directed staff to come forward with a, a broader look at uh, the kinds of uh, business license rules and uh, building inspection rules and zoning rules that we would see for allowing uh, secondary suites throughout the city in all urban designated areas. Ken, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Camelot's Mayor Ken Christian. And uh, we'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll discuss what not to do if you're on the keto diet. Local News Now. Radio NL. 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Well, I think a lot of us have tried it. I certainly have. Uh, the keto diet is out there. You basically eat a lot of fatty foods. Try and cut out or vastly reduce your carbohydrate, and a voila, you lose a lot of weight. Well, we've got a new study out there that uh, seems to indicate if you're on the keto diet and you decide to do a cheat day, you're doing yourself a lot more harm than good. Uh, welcome to the program, uh, University of BC Okanagan School of Health and Exercise Sciences, Professor Jonathan Little. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So run me through this. If you're on the keto diet and you're chowing down on the pork chops and the steak and trying to stay away from the carbohydrates and you decide, uh, screw it, I'm going to have a cheat day. I'm tired of this. Uh, what exactly are you risking yourself? Yeah, well, uh, we uh, designed the study to see what happens when uh, somebody would be on a, a low-carb or keto diet and then, uh, and then yeah, like you said, have a, have a cheat day or, or have a meal that would have uh, or, or a food that would have lots of carbohydrates or sugar in it. We were doing this in the lab, so the, the uh, cheat day meal that we used was a 75-gram uh, uh, glucose tolerance test. It's essentially uh, an orange drink that uh, is very, very sweet, contains pure sugar in it, but it's a standardized lab test to, uh, to test how well someone handles a, a sugar load. And, and uh, our thinking, being uh, physiologists and studying metabolism, is that when your body uh, adapts to burning fat and you're consuming fat and you're not consuming carbohydrates, you become re really good at burning fat and relatively inefficient at burning or using uh, glucose or sugar. So we were wondering whether that might have any detrimental effects and, and we know that uh, a big spike in glucose is not very good for your blood vessels. It doesn't make them very happy. So what we did, we had, uh, it was a small study, we had nine uh, young healthy uh, guys do the study we gave them one of these glucose drinks uh, at the start, and we took some blood samples, and we measured uh, some markers of blood vessel damage uh, that, that float around in your blood. It essentially tells us how uh, angry or damaged your blood vessels are, um, and we're able to, to measure that uh, from a blood sample. And then we, as we did that, and nothing really happened before uh, when these healthy guys took a, a glucose drink, um, 
and everything looked fine. And then for one week, we switched them over to uh, to a low carb, high fat, or what you might call keto diet. Um, they were eating a lot of fat, about 65, 70% of their calories are coming from fat, less than 10% from carbohydrates. So they're having less than 50 grams a day. So essentially the amount of carbohydrates in uh, maybe uh, one and a half slices of bread is the max they'd have throughout the whole day. They did that for a week and then we brought them back in and they had that sugar drink again and we took blood samples and what we saw is uh, at about an hour after having that sugar drink, their glucose spiked higher. So as we expected, they weren't that good at handling glucose after uh, a week of eating lots of fat. But uh, the most, I guess, uh, intriguing or uh, surprising finding was these markers of blood vessel damage were, were elevated. So it looked like this glucose spike now was causing a little bit of, of damage to their blood vessels. What, what does that mean? What's the risk? I mean, what's the health risk of, of having some damage to your blood vessels? Yeah, well, you're, uh, so what the, the marker is, not to, to get too much into uh, to the cellular uh, biology here, but your endothelial cells are the cells that line your blood vessels, and they're really important for regulating uh, things like your blood pressure and your blood flow. So if those cells aren't working well, your blood vessels can't dilate, and that's when you, you start to get hardened arteries and, and uh, hypertension and high blood pressure. So you want those endothelial cells to be working uh, well, and uh, these markers that, that we measure in the blood, they essentially tell us that the cells are, are inflamed or undergoing some processes that, that indicate that they're, they're damaged. And then we also measured uh, with uh, ultrasound, you can take a picture of the blood vessels and measure how good they are at dilating. And the blood vessels, not only did they, or these markers of damage uh, elevated, but also they weren't able to dilate as well. So it looked like their function was was down. Now, you know, I don't want to overstate the findings. There, these were transient, so it, it happened for about an hour. The, the markers of damage and the and the impaired dilation function, but after about two hours, it seemed to go back down to baseline levels. So, so again, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm a scientist, and I don't like to overstate uh, the findings. It, it was a, somewhat alarming to see uh, these uh, blood vessel damage markers uh, go up, but uh, you know, to to be honest, they, they were back down to baseline within two hours, so we don't know the long-term effects here, but I think it makes a little bit of sense to, uh, to, uh, to think that if you're, you're turning your body into this uh, very efficient fat-burning machine, then uh, and it might not be a good idea to, to hammer yourself with a big carbohydrate load or, or sugar uh, a meal every once in a while because you're probably not going to be very good at handling it. Yeah, we've only got about a minute left, but one aspect of this I found intriguing um, is apparently the diet can help people with diabetes. Is, is that a fact? Yeah, and that's a good thing to, uh, you know, I, I study the impact of a ketogenic diet on reversing type 2 diabetes, and we have some very promising results there. So, um, you know, when you don't eat carbohydrates, your glucose doesn't go up, and, and that's what is a problem for people with type 2 diabetes. So I, I think I would definitely say if, if you're using uh, the keto diet or a low-carb diet to help manage your diabetes or help to lose weight, um, this shouldn't be uh, some, uh, a study that would uh, alarm you or, or stop you from doing that because I think the benefits of, of uh, a keto diet for weight loss and diabetes control are, are much greater than any uh, potential damage from, from one cheat meal. So, so certainly if the keto diet's making you reach your goals for other health reasons, uh, I wouldn't uh, be too alarmed by, by the findings of our study. Uh, but if you're a young, healthy person, uh, you might not. Uh, you might think twice about following a ketogenic diet on the weekdays and cheating on the weekends. Jonathan, thanks for taking a few minutes of your day this morning. Really appreciate it. 
All right, thanks for having me on. That's Jonathan Little, Associate Professor at uh, UBC Okanagan School of Health and Exercise Sciences, discussing uh, the possible, well, seems like significant negative impacts of taking a cheat day if you're on that keto diet. Quick break to the bottom of the hour. On the other side, we're going to dive right back into the wildfire issue with an early start to the season. Mike Flanagan will join us. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Well, it looks like we got an early far uh, start to the BC wildfire season. We got four new blazes overnight across the province, a couple uh, near Lillooet, another one near Lytton. Uh, so lots of activity out there, about 14 to date. So that's raised the question, are we in for another terrible wildfire season? We're on the backs of two already. Uh, to talk about that, real pleasure to join in the program, a professor with the Department of Renewable Resources, director of the Western Partnership for Wildland Fire Science at the University of Alberta, Mike Flanagan. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Shane. I'm fine. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, of course, as you know, we've had two historic wildfire seasons in this province, uh, and we got a, a fairly early start, not the earliest start on record, but still an early start nonetheless. As, as you kind of look at the tea leaves out there ahead of another fire season ahead of us, uh, cause for concern or, or no? Yeah, yeah, there's always a cause for concern. Um, but, you know, unlike the weather forecast, uh, that can be fairly reliable for you know a few days to a week. Seasonal forecasting and the fire season forecasting is there's not a great deal of skill yet. Um, so you know I, I can't say with any certainty what the coming fire season will be like. What I can say is that it will depend on the day-to-day weather during the fire season, which is you know yes we've got fires already, and this is not completely unusual. You know after the, the snow disappears, you get some nice warm weather, and these are mostly human-caused fires because the lightning season really isn't upon us yet. This isn't unusual. So, you know, the prime season is kind of later in July and August, which are traditionally the the busiest part of the fire season during the summer heat and drought. Um, So if we see that again, and lightning is a big factor in fires in B.C., uh, 60% of the fires in the last 10 years are started by lightning. So if things line up, it could be another bad fire season. I mean, normally you don't get three bad ones in a row. But with, you know, the crazy weather we've been getting, and, you know, I attribute this to climate change, I, I can't rule out a third bad fire season. And there is some research that suggests you know, and this, this may sound a little far-fetched, but it doesn't actually make sense. The way the ice is melting in the Arctic means that it's, it's leaving the Bering Sea really early, and this year is no exception, that the upper ridge parks over the west coast of North America, and it gives you hotter, drier conditions, more intense ridging. Ridging is calming in the, in the summer over B.C., California to B.C., but it's more intense and lasts longer. And if we get that again this year, then we could be in for another bad fire season and, uh, and California as well. So, uh, you know, here yeah. we go. Uh, speaking of climate change, I note uh, as, as the new fire season looms, we have a new report out over the last couple of days uh, from federal government scientists, Environment and Climate Change Canada, and basically they they conclude that uh, this country is warming faster than the world average, all because of climate change. This, I assume, will will have a direct uh, correlation to to wildfire seasons that we're going to see. 
absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about temperature and fire, here we're not talking about individual fire, you know, like the Elephant Hill fire, which really depends on the fuel there and the wind and things like that. But we're talking about the fire season over, like, British Columbia. And temperature is really important. So, and that is the warmer we get, the more fire we see. I guess all the time, why is temperature so important? Well, three reasons. Uh, longer fire seasons, and we've been seeing that in Alberta for the last decade, and this year's off to an early start. It's not the earliest start, but longer fire seasons and warmer temperatures means more lightning, and that's a big factor in BC wildfires is lightning activity. So if we see more lightning, more fires. And the third reason, which is probably the most important but probably the most convoluted, is the warmer we get, the more efficient the atmosphere is at sucking the moisture out of the fuel. I kind of liken it to if you put a wet towel on, you know, people still use uh, laundry lines or clothes lines. If it's hot, dry, windy day, that towel dries really quickly. Same thing with fuels, okay? And if the fuels are dry, it's easier for fires to start, easier for fires to spread, and the more fuel that is available to burn, which means they burn more intensely, hotter, which means they're difficult to impossible put out. So that's why warmer weather that we're seeing. Canada's doubling the, the global rate. The northern areas are even warming faster than that. So uh, warmer conditions means more fire activity in Canada. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every year is going to be a bad fire year. Some years will be cooler and wetter, um, but it seems that most of the increase in fire activity we've seen recently is based in western Canada. So we got some, you're right, I mean, there's envi- uh, weather and all sorts of things, there's there's all sorts of variables, but uh, there are concerning elements now in the ingredient list that are, there seem to be changing the dynamic. So I mean, a question to you, I mean, uh, with this changing picture and the the chance for, for more intense and, and uh, crazy wildfire seasons, depending on, uh, on weather and other variables, uh, do we need to alter how we prepare or how we deal with wildfire seasons, both as communities and and as as people who directly you know like firefighting outfits etc do we need to, do we need a dynamic change in how we deal with this or no so uh, that's a, a good question and i'll start by saying you know the, the bc wildfire service is among the best in the world um it's a challenging job at the best at times and you know for those fires that are potentially damaging it's really important to report wildfires. And, you know, the public plays a major role here because almost everyone has a cell phone now. And so if you see a fire, you know, you call star 5555 in, in uh, BC and, or 1-800-663-55555 because human-caused fires are preventable. They're all preventable, um, whereas lightning we don't have much choice about. Now, in terms of communities and homeowners, landowners, there's a program called Fire Smart, and there's lots. Of, there's a number of principles, but there's guidelines and recommendations for how communities and homeowners can better protect themselves against fire. We can't make communities fireproof, but we can do things to reduce the likelihood of a catastrophic fire. And you know, some of them are fairly simple: common sense, clean your eaves troughs, um, you know, get the needles and leaves out of there, don't stack combustible material against the side of the house. Don't use mulch. Um, all, because most homes burn down not because of direct flame contact from the fire, because, but because of this rain of burning embers. 
and they can travel fairly long distances. And these embers fall from the sky and with the smoke, and if some of them land on something's combustible, it starts burning. And that's exactly what happens with home losses. And then once the fire gets started in one home, it can spread from home to home to home. Just, but get that first fire is due to these rain of burning embers. So reducing those flammable fuels around the house and around the community greatly reduces the risk. This is kind of a crystal ball question, but I'll, I'll throw it at you anyway and see, we'll see what we get back here. But uh, I think that in 2017, we had uh, probably one of the crazier wildfire seasons from the perspective of uh, entire communities being evacuated, fires threatening an entire region of the province. The caribou was, was virtually almost in, in encircled by fires at one point. Um, a mass exodus out of, of an entire region of the province. Not so much the case the following year, last year's wildfire season. There was a lot of fires and a lot of hectares burned, hence the historic aspect of it. Um, but in other jurisdictions, in California's and Australia's and in, in parts of Europe, we've seen wildfires that have uh, sparked and grown at a rate that is just mind-numbing. And it has resulted in the loss of, of thousands of homes, uh, human life losses, all that kind of stuff. I think here in BC, we have been somewhat lucky on that front. Um, is, is there a chance here that, that we're going to see a season where that luck runs out? Possibly. Um, now, Yes, you know, you, you say examples all around the world where there's been catastrophic fires, and some of these places have excellent fire management, like California, Australia, and so we're not immune. We're, we're good, but we've been fortunate that we're lucky, as you suggest, and there is the potential for catastrophic, and we almost saw it in Fort McMurray. Um, you know, fires are a bit like real estate at times, location, location, location. You know, and you mentioned the 2017 fires were near communities in 2018, not, not so much. Uh, so, you know, if we have another bad fire season, it could be around communities this year. And whether it is or not, there is always this risk. You know, fire is not going to disappear because you need three ingredients, you know, fuel, ignition, and weather. And we'll always have conducive fire weather. We'll always have all three. And people live and work in the forest, so you're going to have this intersection between fire and society, fire and people. And, um, you know, it's not going to go away. So there is this risk of, you know, a catastrophic fire occurring in Canada like we've seen in other parts of the world. And there's another aspect here that we haven't talked about yet is these fires produce smoke. Smoke's not good for you. And smoke can travel. And we were smoked out in Edmonton last year, and we were probably 1,000 kilometers away from the fire. But it can smoke out Vancouver, and I know you folks in Kamloops and area had suffered through a yeah. lot of smoke the last few seasons. Uh, so it's not good for your health, and uh, we can expect more of that. Well, that was, and that was going to be my last question here, Mike, because I think uh, I was shocked by stumbling across a, a California University study last year that talked about wildfire smoke, literally um, it, responsible for thousands of deaths in the United States. And, and here we seem to kind of, I mean, it's annoying. We don't like it. Yeah, the air quality is bad. Let's stay inside. That sucks. But we don't seem to be discussing the health impacts of it. You know, in 2017, there were pockets of the province inundated with smoke, including Kamloops, but there was other areas you could go to to get some clean air. And in 2018, uh, a large swath of the province and into Alberta was just covered in gray wildfire smoke. And the, the logic of the day when you talk to experts says, hey, listen, it's a couple of weeks, it's a month, you know, a couple of days of clean air after that washes out your system, no big deal. Uh, but I'm starting to doubt that. And I'm wondering to you, sh should we start more seriously taking into 
into consideration the health impacts of wildfire smoke as part of the wildfire season. So it's not just the flames, it's the smoke as well. Absolutely. And there was a BC Lung Association meeting in early February of this year and addressing these very issues. And uh, globally, we know approximately 330,000 premature deaths are due to wildland fire smoke. A lot of these are in Southeast Asia from Indonesian peat fires. And prolonged exposure is worse for your health, but episodic exposure is not great either. Um, so it, it is a consideration, especially if you have a compromised system or respiratory problems, um, you should take precautions. And, you know, the fact is that if we continue to see smoke year after year after year, then it is going to be prolonged exposure to episodic smoke. And uh, that's not good for our health at all. I mean, and some of this is common sense, stay indoors, but during a prolonged exposure, the air quality inside may be as bad as outside, so then you have to have air purifiers running to make sure you have fresh air centers or in your homes, um, wearing appropriate masks if things are really bad. I know in Edmonton for a while there, last August, we had the worst air quality on the planet, and it was not pleasant. Um, and. Uh, and it's not good for you. And no vigorous exercise during that because it's these little small particles that are found in smoke. And there's over 4,000 chemicals in smoke. And you, if you do vigorous exercise, you breathe in deeply, and these little particles are trapped in your lungs and affect lung capacity perhaps for the rest of your life. So, um, yeah. Yeah, a lot there. Uh, but it sounds like we need to really turn our attention to that. Mike, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you for taking some time this morning. Oh, my pleasure, Shane. That's Mike Flanagan. He's with the Department of uh, Renewable Resources, Director of the Western Partnership for Wildland Fire Science at the University of Alberta. Interesting chat about the wildfire season to come. Quick break on the other side. We'll talk about what's ahead for tourism in the season ahead for Wells Gray Provincial Park. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Well, the summer is fast approaching, and that means uh, tourism season is going to pick up again uh, in the Kamloops area and definitely to our north at Wells Gray Provincial Park. A pleasure to welcome to the program the manager of tourism for Wells Gray, Stephanie Molina. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And yourself? I am fine, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay, so uh, I know wildfires are a concern uh, when tourism is, is, is there, but we don't know what's going to happen on that front yet. So putting that aside uh, and hoping that there's no big threat to Wells Gray, um, how are you guys looking for the tourism season ahead at exciting things? Uh, I know the numbers of especially European visitors that, that flood up there every summer uh, is always uh, very interesting and exciting for that region. Uh, what are you thinking is going to happen this year? I think that we'll have a really strong year. Um, by all accounts, talking to our accommodations and our campgrounds, um, there's lots of reservations that have been rolling in all winter long, and we're really excited to welcome our guests this year. Um, 
we have 17 guiding companies, um, 200 kilometers of hiking trails, over 40 waterfalls. Um, we're excited to welcome everyone for this 2019 season. Do you think Wells Gray gets enough limelight? Uh, you know, I know you do in in places like Germany, which seem to flock to the Germans seem to flock to that area. But I'm always kind of curious. I mean, here in Kamloops, we're well aware of it. Uh, it's a great place, but it doesn't seem to get mentioned in all the great provincial parks in the province. Maybe because some of those great provincial parks are just an easier to reach from places like the Lower Mainland, Wells Gray, not so much. It, it, it does it does it worth mention? Does it need its profile raised provincially or no? You know, I think we could always use a little bit more profile raising. In some ways, it works in our favor because it still feels very off the beaten path. Um, and so for people who are especially visiting the larger national parks and running into a lot of tourists during the busy season, when they come to Wells Gray, they really get a taste of that, you know, Canada and BC that they imagined. And I know we're pretty spoiled in BC. We kind of have our pick of the litter with so many provincial parks. You know, Wells Gray is the fourth largest. We have the fourth highest waterfall in Canada um, and a lot of other features that make us pretty special. Um, So, you know, while we certainly want more people to learn about the park um, you know it's kind of great too because we do people get to feel like they have the park to themselves a lot of the time which is quite nice yeah no absolutely 100% um, anything new or exciting coming down the pipe for tourists uh, this year or no um, yeah well we have um, a few exciting new events um, one is we are hosting the community's hosting their first half marathon here the Candle Creek Half Marathon in August um, also for spring, just looking right ahead of us, we're, we're having an early spring, and it's really one of the, the best times to come to the park because of the spring melt. So the waterfalls are really flowing at their most mighty, most powerful. Um, it's really a natural wonder to see them at this time of year. Um, wildlife will be out um, Little-known fact is we also have the oldest sheep ranch in um, B.C., located near Clearwater. And so especially for a nice Easter activity, you can come and watch the lambing at the Avalie Ranch and also, you know, hit the trails and see some beautiful waterfalls as well. Uh, on the accommodation side, I, I know from talking to people up there, the, the local hotels and stuff are generally booked solid. How are we doing on campground reservations? Are people flooding in and, and grabbing those en masse or no? Well, we still um, have availability for campgrounds. And what's nice is that um, in the provincial park, um, in the provincial parks that are in our area, both Wells Green and North Thompson, there are still um, walk-in sites or non-reservable sites. And especially on the shoulder season, so for spring, if you're looking for a nice, quick getaway from Kamloops, um, there's lots of availability in the spring. Um, so come early, come do some early season camping. We have over 700 registered um, camp and RV sites and um, dozens and dozens of accommodations in the area, everything from some of Canada's best B&Bs um, to hotels and motels, um, pretty much anything to suit your fancy. I know we've had a, a really uh, nice stretch of lovely weather recently. Uh, the change from winter to summer, at least here in Kamloops, has been pretty drastic from one week to the next. Uh, not so nice out here today, but uh, the last couple of days have been gorgeous. Has the season essentially already started for you guys or no? Um, well, I would say in town it certainly looks that way. Um, so a lot of our private campgrounds are just beginning to open early. One of our golf courses just 
is opening this weekend. Um, you know, the, some of our trails do are high, higher elevation, so it might take a little bit longer for the snow um, to come off there. But we do have a lot of um, viewpoints and trails that will be accessible early in the spring as well for people um, looking to come um, for some early season experiences in Wells Gray Park. Fantastic. Uh, Stephanie, thanks for taking some time this morning. Wells Gray is a crown jewel of this region, and I look forward to getting back up there this summer as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's Stephanie Molina. She's the manager of Tourism Wells Gray, talking about an exciting tourism season to come for Wells Gray Provincial Park, and that brings to an end. The Woodford Show we will see you again right here on Radio NL, same time tomorrow. 106.7 Logan Lake, 98.1 Blue River, 97.5 Avola. From CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM. Local news now.